You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Good morning uh, and welcome to First Baptist Church Van Alstein. I want to go ahead and point out uh, the blatantly obvious, yes, my microphone is taped to my face right now. Um, Dan said I had, quote, baby ears uh, and the microphone did not fit. I said I, they are small, but I can hear and that still hurt very bad. So they have uh, went to Diamonds and found Band-Aids and tape and they have taped it too. So if I pull this way and hair gets pulled out and I wince, that is why. Um, But if you are new and visiting with us here this morning, and we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Chris Burge, and I am the ministry resident here at First Baptist Church Van Austin, and have been for about three months now. Um, Four months ago, my family and I, uh, we were serving overseas, uh, and we moved back at the end of March. So we moved back to a place that is home, uh, grew up in this church. Uh, This church has a huge role in the formation of my life, and forever I'm grateful for that. Um, And on top of that, uh, before we dive into our text this morning, um, I would like to begin by just saying thank you. Um, Many of you here this morning, either indirectly or directly, um, supported our family through financial giving, through faithful prayers for the six and a half years that we served with the mission organization that we have just left uh, in our time in College Station, Fayetteville, and then most recently London, England. Um, So we are very, very grateful for that. And being on the mission fields obviously has its challenges. Uh, But there's a level of biblical generosity and partnership that you get to experience when you partner with a church like this one. And for that, we are forever grateful. So on behalf of my family, my wife, Tori, she's here. We just wanted to say thank you. So, and I did it back-to-back services without crying. So, I am, I might cry later, we'll see. But, um... So again, if you're visiting with us here this morning, this is our last Sunday that we're going to be spending in the Psalms. Uh, It has been a summer spent in the Psalms, and we've looked at Psalms of Thanksgiving, Psalms of Remembrance, Psalms for the morning, Psalms for the evening, and Psalms most uh, recently this past week, declaring the Lordship of Jesus. And each week, uh, we have been able to glean from the text an aspect of God's character, We've seen that he is an approachable God who, if we are in need of mercy, he will provide mercy. If we are needy, he will provide those needs. He is a God who hears our deepest cries. He is alone and unmatched in his glory, honor, and power. He is a God who is constant throughout history, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God who faithfully remembers, a God who redeems, and as Jace touched on a couple weeks ago, he is the source of true contentment. Now, if you were to think of God, and this is the one time I wish I had a physical object for uh, an illustration, but if you were to think of God as a diamond, uh, and you could turn this diamond around and examine each facet of this beautifully, perfectly symmetrical diamond uh, that God is, you would turn it this way, and you could see his goodness, you know, this way, and see his holiness, his love, his justice, his wisdom, and so on. And what I hope that we are able to see here this morning, that on this same diamond, a facet right next to his love and his grace is that of a missional heart. And we're going to take a a deeper look at that facet here more in depth this morning. And our God, he is truly a missional God. 
He is passionate about his glory and desires for all peoples of the world to experience his goodness, mercy, and love. He is a God, and 2 Peter 3.9 says, is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is a God who bestows blessings, and not merely blessings for blessing's sake, but with a beautiful purpose that is infused into each blessing that propels us into each day, joining our Father in his plan to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And one thing I'm going to ask of you all here this morning, before we get into our text and the bulk of the message, is I just want you to think, and I want you to think right now, what comes to your mind when you hear the word missions? That word may elicit many thoughts or emotions or even experiences in your mind. You may have not given it much thought at all, or you may be a missiologist deep down in your heart. You may think that it's the church's responsibility. When I say churches, I mean staff's responsibility. You may view it as something that's reserved for elite or all-star Christians. And I'm not sure how you view it today, but what I do know is particularly here in America... We either misunderstand missions completely or neglect it altogether. According to a Barna study conducted in 2021, 63% of all U.S. Christians had never heard of the Great Commission. 51% of U.S. Christians believe that missions is a calling for some Christians, while only 25% believe that missions is a mandate for all Christians. And as you can see, there is evidently a need for a more pressing biblical missiology in our churches as a whole today. So before we get into our text this morning, I want you to be thinking, what comes to your mind when you hear the word missions? And on top of that, why missions? Why missions? And my one encouragement to you here this morning, and you may have a tendency to tune out when you hear a a, a mission sermon or you hear somebody get up and talk about missions. And I really want you to resist that temptation and fight against that to do that today. Because I'm hopefully going to show from Scripture that whether we cross an ocean in in our lifetime or not, global missions is for all of us and we all have a role to play so in keeping with uh, how we've been reading our psalms each Sunday, I would like to ask you just to stand with me this morning as we read Psalm 67 out loud together as a church. It's up here on the screen behind me. If you have your Bibles, we're reading from the ESV, uh, but let's just read along together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Thank you. You can be seated. Charles Spurgeon called this the missionary psalm. A reference to either peoples, nations, or earth is mentioned 11 times in just these short seven verses. God's purpose is that he is to be known, loved, enjoyed, worshipped, and praised among all the peoples of the earth. 
This is why he created the world, chose Israel, why Christ died, and why missions exist. The writer of this psalm, 67, presumably David, draws upon the ironic blessing introduced in Numbers 6, 24, and 26, and the Abrahamic covenant and blessing given to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The psalmist is rooting his prayer in the promise from God to Abraham that I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The psalm is deeply, deeply rooted in God's covenant with and blessing of Abraham and his family. If you're familiar with this story at all, Abraham, formerly known as Abram, was a nobody. He lived in, the fa- in Ur of the Chaldeans. This is an area steeped deeply in idolatry. The world had reverted back to its pre-flood days. Nations then descended from Noah and were fruitful and multiplied. They had one language and the same words, Genesis 11:1. 1. But they began, what? Building a tower. God did not like this tower, and because it represented the exact opposite thing that God had commanded them to do, which was to spread out and, 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 and multiply for his glory. So God came down, confused the language of the people, and dispersed them over all the face of the earth. This judgment and rescattering of people was a display of God's mercy. And then he was going to do something. He was going to enter into a special new covenantal relationship with a people that had not yet existed, Israel. Enter Abraham. The blessings bestowed upon Abraham, his name now changed, sought to reverse the effects of the fall. And we even see that a little bit in Psalm 67. We see further from this text that Abraham will have a seed and will become a great nation. Abraham is promised a land. Abraham himself will be a blessing. And fourthly, the blessing itself is not focused on Abraham, but he is to become a conduit of God's blessing to others. Other nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham. He will be blessed and will be a blessing, and all the nations of the earth will receive blessing. This is a beautiful promise and covenant instituted by a very, very, very patient God. It is saturated, as we've said, with favor and blessing. This is what the psalmist has in mind when he prays verse 1 of Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Blessing asked for, but why? Once again, in the same framework of what we read in the blessing of Abraham, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And once again, to drive this point home even further, this is not a blessing just for mere blessings' sake. It is infused with a beautiful purpose. We see this play out long after Abraham died and Israel began their journey as God's chosen conduit of his goodness, mercy, and grace. He continued to preserve the nation of Israel while displaying his power and his desire for all the nations in the world to know him. And despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God continued to bless them over and over and over again. 
He parted the Red Sea, and Israel walked on dry ground out of Egypt. He rained down manna from heaven. He led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. Blessing after blessing. I want to draw your attention to two very well-known, probably, Old Testament stories. The first being David and Goliath, and then Daniel in the lion's den. You're probably thinking, what does that have to do with missions? But let me show you. I promise it does. We should all be familiar with the first story, David versus Goliath. Goliath was huge. David was small. David defeats Goliath, and Israel defeats the Philistines. This is not about facing your giants, though. Trust me. Promise me. In the midst of extreme circumstances and conflict and standing on the eve of battle, Israel had no chance of winning this battle. God provided a deliverer, and that should sound very, very familiar to us, to step up for this nation. We see God preserve the nation and stay true to his promise of blessing by using a lowly shepherd to defeat a giant. And let's look at 1 Samuel seventeen forty six. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The purpose is clear. This happened so that God would be known to be the amazing God he is over all of the earth. And again, we see this in Daniel 6, 25 through 27. Daniel had just been found to be protected by the lions in the den that he was cast into, and we immediately see the purpose for this whole ordeal. Verse 25 starts, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in, my royal, in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And these were just two, just two examples And for the sake of time, we're not going to dwell into any others, but Israel was continually blessed, and that purpose was evident each and every time, over and over again, and that purpose was for them to be a blessing to the nations. And if you were to take a deeper look at these Hall of Fame Sunday school stories and lessons that we learned growing up, we, we may view them as just mere, isolated, inspirational stories, but you will see a continuous thread for what their real purpose is. This missional thread runs throughout all of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But what about us here today? Is that covenant over? Was it fulfilled? We must just simply look to Jesus. The decisive fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham was the life, death, and death-defeating resurrection of the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And those who are united by faith in Christ's saving and redeeming work now are themselves sons of Abraham's and an heir of, listen, of the same blessings. The same blessings. We're heirs of the same blessings. Paul touches on this a little bit more in in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians 3, 7 through 9 reads, and I should have it up here behind me if you'd like to read along. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And a few verses down in verses 13 through 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In other words, every time someone trusts in Christ, the Abrahamic covenant is being fulfilled. John Piper comments further on Psalm 67, and I love what he says here. He says, part of the ongoing historical realization of this great covenant and its decisive fulfillment in Jesus and its ongoing fulfillment through the church. The prayer is really, Psalm 67, really meant to be read as a realization of the covenant with Abraham and as an expression of how that covenant would be fulfilled in us through Jesus Christ. We see further in Galatians that those who are of faith are indeed sons of Abraham. God is continuing to make good on his covenant promise and blessings of Abraham by multiplying his offsprings, as Genesis twenty-two seventeen says, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Church, in what ways has God blessed you? And I really want you to think about this this week. And may we view our blessings not just for our sake, but for the sake of others so that the nations may hear, so that those who have never had a chance to hear about Jesus may be reached, so that we may be glory spreaders for our God who deserves it all. We have been given a blessing so that we can be a blessing. We have been reconciled so we can have a ministry of reconciliation, and we were sojourners and exiles given citizenship, so now we can be ambassadors. May we not waste our lives and be poor stewards of the blessings bestowed upon us. May we pray with the same heart as Psalm 67 that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all of the peoples praise you. So, to answer our question from earlier, why missions? Why missions? Because Jesus said to go. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commission of our Lord and Savior, the one that 63% of U.S. Christians had never heard of. And Jesus gave this command for all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. This wasn't a commission given to a select few, but to the church as a whole. And we are all called to play our role in seeing this commission completed. And one more thing before we move on, uh, I want to draw our attention to, just to clarify, when the Bible speaks of nations, peoples, or tribes, it is not talking about geopolitical boundaries identified by the United Nations. And I have an example here I wanted to show you guys, if we could go to the next slide. That is the country of Nigeria um, in Africa. And that is the boundary of the country of Nigeria. So if you were to say, I'm going to the country of Nigeria, this is what we would know that you're talking about. But if we were to go to the next slide, 
Each of those, and it's hard to see on this picture, but each of those little blocks represents a different people group. Currently, right now, there are 542 people groups or nations in the country of Nigeria alone, and 53 of them are completely unreached and separated from the gospel. And get this, too. This is, this is pretty crazy. Um, there are over 500 languages spoken in Nigeria, making it one of the most linguistically diverse countries in the entire world. Within that one country, 542 different people groups and 500 different languages spoken, each with its own distinct culture, language, and traditions. If we look in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says that this gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. So how are we doing in completing our task, this task that's been given to us? Currently, there are 17,438 nations or people groups in the world today. 7,382 of those are completely unreached. That comes to a population of 3.4 billion with a B, or 42.4% of the world's population. And when we say unreached, we aren't just simply saying that these people are lost, which they are, but that they have no access to the gospel. Global Frontier Missions defines unreached people groups, and I have this above me as well so you can follow along. But they define unreached people groups as an identifiable group of people distinguished by a distinct culture, language, or social class who lack a community of Christians able to evangelize the rest of the people group without outside help. The only opportunity for the people group to hear about salvation is through an external witness. Most missiologists consider 2% of the population becoming Christ followers as the tipping point at which the group is genuinely considered reached with the gospel. So that means if you were to be born or if you live in an unreached area, chances are that you would live your whole entire life and die without having a chance to hear of the saving faith of Jesus Christ. And chances are that you don't know anybody who knows anybody that knows anybody that can tell you about Jesus. I have some of these behind me I want you to follow along with, but I do believe statistics can pack a punch, and they're powerful. So I'm going to read you off some statistics. Only 29% of Christians believe that reaching the unreached around the world is very urgent. Only 29%. Today, roughly 400,000 Christians are identified as missionaries who would be defined as someone who has moved somewhere else for the spread of the gospel. Of those 400,000 missionaries, only 3% are working directly amongst the unreached. Churches today spend 99% of their missions resources in place that are already reached with the gospel. Now, I want you to hear me too. This is, this is good work. I'm not disparaging this work at all. I'm just saying that there's an imbalance here that we must recognize, okay? Because that is just as important, I promise you. On average, for every $100,000 a Christian makes an annual salary, $1.70 will go to reaching the unreached. We spend more each year on weight loss programs in America than we give to missions. 
And here recently, Americans, and this is all Americans, not just Christians, not just Christians, all Americans have spent more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than the total amount given to reach the unreached. In 2001, there were 900 churches for every one unreached people group. And today, there are 54,056 evangelical Christians for every one unreached people group. 155,252 people die daily without ever having a chance to hear of the gospel. Missiologists today are referring to this time as the great imbalance. We have the numbers, and the unreached are out there. The harvest is truly plentiful, and we have the labors, and we have... Sorry? the tape. That's too close to my face. And I love this from George Ladd. He was a New Testament scholar. He comments further on Matthew 24, 14. He says, I do not know when the end will come, and yet I do know this. When the church has finished its task of evangelizing the world, Christ will come again. The word of God says it, Why did he not come in A.D. 100? Because the church had not yet evangelized the world. Why did he not return in A.D. 1000? Because the church had not finished the task of worldwide evangelization. Is he coming soon? He is, if we, God's people, are obedient to the command of the Lord to take the gospel into all the world. Command of the Lord to take the gospel into all the world. How are we to know when the mission is complete? How close are we to the accomplishment of this task? What countries have been evangelized and which have not? How close are we to the end? Does this not lead to date setting? I answer, I do not know. God alone knows the definition of terms. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are. Only God knows the exact meaning of evangelize. He alone who has told us that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations will know when that objective has been accomplished. But... I do not need to know. I know only one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. And one real quick before we move on, I do, you hear the word task, and I do not want us to leave here with the burden or begrudgingly going about this task or this mission. This is a joy that we get to participate with the saving God, redeeming God of all peoples and nations, and he has invited us into this. This is why we were created. This is our life's purpose. He doesn't need us. He is able to fulfill his plans to reach the nations with or without us, but in his sovereignty, he chose us to use us. Why missions? Because our God is the only being worthy of worship in the entire universe. He alone deserves all glory and worship and praise. John Piper so famously put it, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions begins and ends in worship, and our God is one worth magnifying, and he deserves all the worship. Why missions? John Stott so beautifully put it, We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. So what now? What now? What are ways that we can steward the blessings given to us today? 
And I want to list four practical ways for us to keep in mind this morning as we leave this building, as we go back out into the world. Firstly, send. A sender is someone who leverages their career, money, skills, and influence to send and support others engaged in cross-cultural ministry. Paul observed in Romans 10:15, and how can they preach unless they are sent? A huge part, uh, yes, of, of sending is by financial means, but there are many other unique ways that you can use the blessings, your giftings, your career, and your life to send and support others engaged in missions. Um, a few weeks ago, um, there was a, a family, uh, forgive me for not remembering the family's name, I just saw the picture, but their girls had put together a lemonade stand, uh, and people were driving by and giving money and buying some delicious lemonade, uh, and those girls in turn gave all of that money to support a missionary family in Honduras. That's sending. As I said earlier, we were uh, on the field um, here this past year, and we were particularly going through a really difficult season. Um, we were worn out spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, and we're just going through it. And it was at this time that God used our family and church members that we had known from here to put together a care package for us of all of our favorite things. And then this package was huge. I mean, it was massive. It must have cost $6,000 to send it um, from America to England. But I remember, <laughs> yeah, my kid's face seeing that package. And it changed. We changed that day. Life was still hard after that, of course. But there was something about receiving that package in that time that just lit us up with joy and showed us that we were not forgotten. It's another way to send. If someone is going down into a well, one must be willing to go into the well, but someone must be up in the well holding the rope. That's what a sender does. Secondly, welcome. I told you I was going to cry. I knew it. I felt it 10 minutes ago. I knew I was getting to that part. Secondly, welcome. Pastor Mike mentioned this past week, but right here in DFW, even Grayson County, we have tremendous access to peoples from all around the world, more specifically, unreached people groups and nations. This past decade, we have seen one of the largest displacement and dispersion of refugees the world has seen since World War II either through a pursuit of a better life or just unimaginable circumstances that force these people to leave their homes. People all, from all over the world are moving right here. And it's, it's if God said, they're not going to them, I'm going to bring them right to their doorstep. And the nations are right here in Van Alstine, in Grayson County, in North Texas. According to the Pew Research Center, since 2002, Texas has led the nation in resettling refugees, and in 2016, more refugees were resettled in Dallas-Fort Worth than in any other U.S. metropolitan area. Now, that is not, ooh, look at us, Texas, Texas pride, yeah. That is, there's an opportunity here, and we better not squander it because they are right here. For those that are going off to college soon, little statistic for you guys, just to, be in, to keep in mind. 80% of international students and families that move here for school are from countries that are considered to be unreached. This is missions in reverse. They are coming to us. And may we not miss the opportunity to be hospitable with the love and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are here. 
next, in our next door. Um, one of my buddies runs a, a refugee ministry down the road in Plano, 20 minutes away. And he was sharing with me uh, how recently they have taken on a large number of uh, refugees. Um, and they're, they're just trying to get them settled. They come here don't know how to drive. They don't have a driver's license. They don't know how to get groceries. They're just trying to get their family settled. And he was sharing that they had a girl, a mom, walk through, and she was like limping, and she had a bandage on. And they're like, what, what's going on? And she was like, oh, yeah, through a translator. She, she had been shot out of Afghanistan on her way out, and she had flown all the way here with her family and had not yet had it treated just because she was trying to get things settled. And that is 20 minutes down the road, right down 75. The nations are here amongst us. May we not miss this opportunity. Thirdly, go. We can go. And I want to quote Robert E. Spear. He was an influential part of the USA's student volunteer movement uh, for foreign missions in the late 1800s. And this goes right in hand of what we've been talking about this morning of blessings in Psalm 67 and the Abrahamic covenant and blessing. He says, this whole business of asking for special calls to missionary work does violence to the Bible. There is the command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and we say that means other people. But there is the promise, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and we say that means me. We must have a special divine indication that we fall under the command, yet we do not ask a special divine indication that we fall under the blessing. By what right do we draw this line of distinction between the obligations of Christianity and its privileges? By what right do we accept the privileges as applying to every Christian and relegate its obligation to the conscience of a few? The truth is that we need people who are willing to go. And before going to university, um, sorry, that's what they call it. It's a very college. Um, I just assume that it was God's will for me to get a job and pursue a career and move back to Texas and have a family. I knew what I was going to school for. I knew what job that I wanted to do. But that did not happen. God completely changed the trajectory of my life when I started learning about these statistics and it was all his work working in and through me and opening up my eyes to the theme of scripture, the need for the gospel to go to the nations, that it changed the trajectory of my life. And so I ask, or I never ask, I never truly ask God where he wanted me to live or do. It's as if I gave him a, a paper and I said, okay, God, I've, I've already got the plans laid out. I've already got it boldly outlined. You can color within those lines. Just stay within those lines. That's my life. Instead of just giving him a blank piece of paper and saying, do with me what you will. Regardless of your age or career plans, ask him and then listen. And going doesn't always have to be as a traditional missionary. It could be a career where you are able to use the gifts and passions that God has given you I just maybe ask him, where, God, where? Lastly, we can pray. In Luke 10, 2, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
if we were to tabulate our weekly time spent praying, what percentage of our prayers would we say reflects God's heart to reach the nations? How much of that time would be spent praying for our mission workers, our mission partners who are currently on the field doing just that? And notice something here of what Jesus says in Luke 10 too. He first acknowledges that there is work to be done, yes, but the command isn't immediately to go, but it is to pray. This is something that we can all do regardless of age, situation in life, where we're at in the world, we can pray. I want to quote Spurgeon one more time here. Jace gets three color quotes per sermon. I'm limiting myself just a couple of Spurgeons this time. Um, but he says, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope, but he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. As we come to a close here this morning, I, Pastor Mike mentioned some, some fall classes and opportunities that we have coming up this fall here at the church. Uh, and one of those that I want to highlight to your attention this morning um, is uh, an explore study. This is a seven-week study. Um, we're going to be meeting here in the FLC every Monday for seven weeks and just looking at more in-depth um, God's Word God's world, and what work can we be doing? This is a chance for us to gather together to pray for the nations. And lastly, last week, we're going to uh, cater in an ethnic meal, so it's going to be a cool way to end the class for you guys finishing the class, so keep that in mind as well. Um, but my prayer this morning as I was preparing this message is as I pray that you would leave here with a little something unsettled in your heart, that some of these statistics would be stuck and ingrained in your brain you would even read the Bible differently. You would see an overarching theme of God's plan of redemption from all people, redemption of people from all tribes, tongues, languages, and nations, that there's a conviction that begins to unsettle your heart just a little bit. And if that is you, and you do want to learn more, this class will be for you. Um, the cost is up there, uh, and it, it is for anyone. This is not just a limited to members of First Baptist Van Alstine, but if you're visiting here with us this morning, go to another church. We'd like for you to join us here as well. So please just mark this on your calendar. Uh, there'll be more information on our website as well. I want to notice, us to notice two more things very briefly as we come to a close this morning. Jesus will be with us, and the end will come. Just as God promised and delivered that Abraham will be the father of many nations, we can confidently engage in our mission endeavors with the certainty that Jesus will deliver on his promises. We are not left alone. We are not left without direction and power. We are left with a choice. Will we leverage our lives in light of the command and task given to us by Jesus himself, receiving blessings and being a blessing, or will we be disobedient, consumed with the things of the world, hoarding these abundant blessings to ourselves? As Christians, we should eagerly be waiting for Christ to return. This return of Jesus will consummate the salvation of his people, and we long for this. As Oswald Smith once said, we talk of the second coming when half of the world has never heard of the first. 
And I do want to um, end our time a little different than the first service. Um, I would just ask that you guys would just close your eyes for a second. In light of this promise that Jesus will be with us and the end will come, I'd like to read over Revelation 7, 9 through 10 over us this morning. And I just want you to picture what is happening in these words. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. You are one worthy of all worship, worship, honor, and praise. God, my prayer for us here this morning is that we would leave this place, God. We would leave this place, God, with a missional heart as you have a missional heart. We would look for and pray for and seek opportunities to be the type of um, glory spreaders that you call us to be. Recognizing the abundant blessings that you have given each and every single one of us and then how we can in turn use that to spread your glory and bring more worship that's due your name from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. And Father, we pray, um, yeah, God, that you would give us opportunities would you strengthen us in those moments? Would you continue to convict the hearts that have been convicted this morning? And would that lead to action, Father? And may we trust in the promises of your word as well, that you are with us until the end, and that this mission that you have given us will be completed. And one day we will stand before your throne with a multitude that no one can number from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, praising your name. And it'll be a beautiful, beautiful sight. We pray these things in your beautiful and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.